This is your station, your music, the world famous WXIN. Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Ellens. It's a show where we talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports right here on 90.7 WXIN. I am alone here right now, but as we are every week at 4.30, it will be time to do your Job with Job Gudrid of RealSports101.com. And also with that, we have a lot we got to talk about today. The Patriots proving how special the Falcons are. The Red Sox have a new manager in the on the pine here. The Celtics have been doing pretty well as of late. Some other things from around the NFL, from around the end. NBA from around the MLB, even maybe a little bit of Bruins in there. And if you want to chime in and talk about any of these matters, do not be afraid to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787. Anyway, with all that out of the way, you're listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And with all that out of the way, let's dive right in. The Falcons are dumb. Like, oh my God. I've been saying for months... That leading up to this game, that there was a chance that, yes, the Falcons match up excellently against the Patriots. For all extents and purposes, the Falcons matched up better. The Falcons had, had, had the talent, have the talent, have the weapons to take advantage of a Patriots defense that had been reeling badly up until that point. A Patriots defense that was missing two of its top three cornerbacks and was starting, who's slowly becoming my man, Jonathan Batamosi. A Patriots defense that was playing David Harris a pretty significant amount, who hasn't done anything. And yeah, for all extensive purposes, the Falcons, on paper, you can argue, especially with how successful they've been for most of this season, having one of the best records in the league, having a sim- having actually the exact same record as the Patriots, performed now, going into this game, were conceivably a better team. And I was cognizant of this. I brought this up. I did not call this kind of score in my prediction, but... I was cognizant of it. I'm like, yeah, the Falcons match up well. But I've been consistent on this also, and I've been saying this a long time, that there was a good chance that the Falcons come in here, start getting flashbacks to blowing a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl, and that they're just so mentally broken, because obviously this is still on their mind. There's no chance that they're not thinking about this still. They're doing commercials about the Super Bowl. Matt Ryan does a Gatorade commercial about it. Julio Jones has that commercial where he's on the treadmill watching himself dap up Malcolm Butler after the Super Bowl. And yeah, it's obviously still on their mind. They have not forgotten about it. They haven't turned the page. They haven't risen up against it. It's obviously still on all of their minds. And yeah, I thought there was a chance that they would just going to be so mentally broken that they were going to come in the especially coming into Foxborough they were going to come to Gillette and absolutely crap their pants have <laughs> just fall apart mentally execution wise from a coaching perspective just <laughs> not know like just not look like they know what they're doing and yes yeah, Sunday on Sunday night That's exactly what they saw. This team just displayed again that they are really, really dumb. That their coaches, Dan Quinn and Steve Sarkeesian, 
don't have a clue what they're doing. And yeah, I was so joyous watching this game. This was validating to me watching this game. Validating me telling everybody, and I've been, obviously, you all know, I've been as critical of the Patriots as anybody. I don't think that they're some perfect team. This doesn't suddenly validate, this isn't validating any notion in my head that, oh, the Patriots are the best team in the league, and that it's just been all these haters saying that they're not good. No, this has really nothing to do with the Patriots. Well, I mean, it has everything to do with the Patriots, but I'm saying I don't feel validated in that. I think the Patriots have major flaws. I'm not willing to say that they're the best team in the league right now. But this validates a lot of my views on the Falcons. Really my views on dome teams in general. But that's something I can get into in a minute. But. Yeah, this validates to me that the Falcons are really dumb. Like a really dumb team ran by dumb coaches who don't know to run the ball when you're up by 25 points in the Super Bowl. With less than a half to go. And... Yeah, this this was fun. The one thing that makes me sad about this game is I wanted the shutout like nothing else. And I know. I was watching this game with Dave Cusack. He told, friend of the show, freaking co-host, he told me, oh, well, that's just being a spoiled New England fan, yada, yada, yada. And he's probably right, but I wanted this shutout so badly just to put the nail in whatever is left of the fragile psyche of this iteration of the Atlanta Falcons. Just really stick it to them. Show them who their daddy is. Just <laughs> just end it. Just destroy them mentally. And not to say that they're not going to be battered after this. After giving up lead after lead this season. But. Man, the shutout would have been nice. And now they get to go play the Jets. But, I won't even get into that. But yeah, this is a dumb team. It's a dumb team. Go- where, do, where do we even begin? Where do we begin with the Falcons? Let's begin with the fourth and long calls. First quarter. You're on have fourth and seven midfield. I understand, to a degree, the decision to go for it. I do. I don't rail on the first one of Dan Quinn's, you know, two fourth down calls. I really don't. The play call was atrocious. Obviously, nobody was open, so Matt Ryan having to scramble, which we'll get into the, the, I guess, the legitimacy, the legitimacy of that scramble in a second, but the play call was not great. Obviously, nobody was open, but we'll get into, once again, we'll get into that in a second, but fine, I get that. Right, fine, you want to get up, you want to get rolling, you know, you want to show Belichick and the Patriots who's boss. Show them that you're not afraid of them. No, we're the, we're the Atlanta Falcons here. We're not afraid of you. We're not mentally scarred. Didn't see all our commercials about moving past it? Because we moved past it. These are new, new Falcons. These are the, this is a Steve Sarkeesian offense. I get it. The first call, to some degree, makes sense. Now, as I was saying, the play call was really bad. I don't remember what the call was, but nobody was open. So Matt Ryan had to scramble. A scramble that, by the way, Cassius Marsh, who was on the right side, was held absolutely just egregious hold by whoever is the right tackle for the Falcons. But, I mean, I won't harp on it too much because, you know, there are holds every play. It happens. 
Matt Ryan moved fast, I guess. So whatever. I'm not going to harp on that too much. I'm not going to get here and be like, it wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a hold. But it, it, it wouldn't have. But like I said, I'm not going to harp on that. It's It's a dumb thing to harp on. There are holds on every play, really, on every side of the ball. And just only, you know. A fraction of them go noticed. So, whatever. I'm not going to complain about a no-call in a game where the Patriots had shut them out until the last four or five minutes of the game. So, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to... I'm not going to harp on that too much. But the... And I'm not going to harp on the decision too much. But the second call... For the Falcons to go for it on... I believe it was fourth and six, fourth and seventh, fourth and eight. Doesn't matter. To go for it, when they're on their own, I believe it was their own 45, they're in their own territory, at midfield. I'll say it's on the 50. I don't even care. It doesn't get any less dumb if it's on the 50. On the 50, to go for it, with a minute 50-something remaining, so you know, you pass the two-minute warning, but to go for it, risk giving Tom Brady the ball back with almost two full minutes and most of his, if not all his timeouts, to go from midfield to risk doing that? Now you're being dumb. Sup, Mike? Now Mike Kane just walked by, our tech guy. To do that, that is dumb. <laughs> like, that is really dumb. And you have right there is Dan Quinn trying to overthink things, trying to prove that he's not the moron that we all know that Dan Quinn is. And try to show that, oh, no, 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 no. I can outcoach Belichick. I'm going to do it. Dan Quinn style. So, and yeah, this is what happens when your head coach is an overglorified coordinator, which actually it would be a fun topic to get into in just a second as I keep prefacing things more and more. But to do that, that is stupid. <laughs> oh, my God, is that stupid. You punt the ball away. And I get it. You have this high-flying Atlanta Falcons dome offense that has not been high-flying at all, really, at this point in the year. But whatever. To go for it there is dumb. That is just like this team, like my opening line of this episode was 10 whole minutes ago, back in the past. Dumb. That's dumb. This team is dumb. The Falcons are dumb. Top to bottom, they don't know what they're doing. They have so much talent on this team. They really do. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. They have a great O-line. Alex Mack, Jake Matthews, great O-lineman. Defense. Claiborne. Vic Beasley. They have a good secondary. I like Keanu Neal. They have a good, talented team, and they're just so dumb. And then, yeah, to do that is stupid. You don't punt the ball away. You're going to give Tom Brady the ball at midfield with two minutes to go. And what does he do? Oh, he picks you apart and throw and get and scores a touchdown. So which only adds to your growing blowout, which is just just great. I just really I'm just still sad about the lack of a shutout, but <sighs> these things happen and we move forward as adults. But on the subject of this, and then you get all the fog, which I'm sure is gonna be an excuse to some people. Like Julio Jones, who in his press conference after the game is, bas is basically saying, I I'm not going to say it was about the fog. We're not going to blame the fog, but ugh, there was a lot of, of fog. 
and we don't like fog. Well, you know what, Julio? <laughs> Everybody had to deal with the fog. Maybe you don't at home because you're playing in a stupid dome. But whatever. And this, really, they are a classic dome team. Dome teams, typically, these high-flying dome offense teams, teams that are just yucking it all over the place, down there in the Superdome in Georgia, whatever they're calling it now, because they got their fancy stadium with a Chick-fil-A in it that's not open on Sundays, because they're dumb. <laughs> even, the people who, even the people who rent out the food places for the stadium for the Falcons are dumb. But they'd probably still run the ball in the, ball in the second half of the Super Bowl, but... These dome teams are, they just have this aura of, I don't want to say it's softness, but I guess it's kind of softness is the word I'm going for. And I have the Super Bowl's played inside, so I guess, but it's just these dome teams just typically, even really the Peyton Manning Colts, if we want to get, want to go real back, but these high flying dome teams, the Falcons of old. Even the Falcons of, you know, the Mike Vick, you know, the old Dirty Birds. Even they just, these dome teams are soft. They don't, and you know what? When you have to start dealing with outside weather and it's cold out or it's fo foggy out, they don't know how to deal with it. And that's not to say that's the, that, that's the main issue is that, oh, well, they don't know how to deal with weather, so they're soft. It's just they seem to have this aura of softness around them, these dome teams. That's not to say, like, they're not tough. Like, I say, like, I mean, like, necessarily like, they're bad at running the ball or they're bad at in the trenches or whatever, but they just feel soft. I don't know. And that's a vibe that I'm just getting more and more from this Atlanta Falcons team. The funnier and funnier their saga gets. Really. And they... Yeah, this was their chance. This was their last chance to mentally turn themselves around. And yeah, this Super this Super Bowl hangover for them is so real right now. And you're seeing it. This was their chance. Last couple of weeks, they have blown leads this season. They blow they blew a 17 to nothing lead to the Dolphins last week. They blew a lead against the Bills the week before. So they're already coming in here. Has to be on their mind. Have to be thinking about blowing leads. Now they can't not help but do it. And, and then they come into Gillette against the Patriots. The team that created this. The team that has turned them into a mockery. The team that, the team that replaced that Golden State blew a 3-1 lead. On the comment sections of everything on the internet. This was their last chance to mentally overcome that. To come in and beat New England and show that no, no, no. We're for real. We're not letting it, we're not letting it get to us. And then they come in here and get smacked. Just get absolutely smacked by the Patriots look helpless, look like they don't know what they're doing. Their coaches, excuse me, their, their over-glorified defensive coordinator of a head coach looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. Their offense can't do anything because it's foggy. And by the way, it was 
really foggy. I'm not, I guess, hating on the fact that there was fog. But, yeah. And I, you know what? This iteration of the Falcons, the Matt Ryan, Julio Jones Falcons, they're never going to win anything, if I'm being serious. They might make the playoffs. They're not in first place in their division right now. The Saints are winning their division right now. I'm not saying that they're never going to win the playoffs, but they are so mentally broken at this point that this iteration of the team, and maybe not even this franchise, honestly, if this carried over into this franchise's history forever and ever, it could happen. They're never going to win anything. <laughs> they're never winning anything because they are so, so mentally broken. It's kind of comical. It really is comical to a point. So, have fun with that. You know, Rise up. Hit the dirty bird. Do whatever it is that they want to do there. But, Jesus God, the Falcons are broken. And that this isn't all I want to talk about the issue. Oh, about the game. When Job comes on, we'll, we'll get more into the specifics of the game. What went well, what didn't go well for the Patriots. All that, when he joins us at 4.30, when it's time to do your job, we'll get, we'll get really into the nitty-gritty of the game. We'll look at the Patriots more, but I just wanted to get this off my chest. I really did, because I've been, I've been foreseeing this for months now. People have been hating, like, oh, no, they have leadership there. Oh, Julio will, will yell at them if they start slipping. No, he won't. This team's broken. They do not have leadership there, and... Yeah, this is this is lovely. I love to see this, honestly. I just another soft dome team biting the dust, and they'll if they don't fade into irrelevance this year, they'll slowly fade into irrelevance. And Matt Ryan can cherish his MVP trophy all he wants, I guess. And Julio can rant about fog, and yeah. And you know, Dan Quinn can get fired and go with the defensive coordinator for you know. The, the Chargers or something stupid. And yeah, this, this is lovely. I love this. But I'll move on for now. We'll get back into this at eh, about halfway, halfway point of the four o'clock hour, about 4.30, 4.35 when Job joins us. We'll get, we'll do as we do every week. We'll really get into the nitty gritty of this Patriots win. But yeah, I just really, really wanted to get this off my chest about the Falcons. But Anyway, with that, speaking of leadership, the Red Sox also have some changes going on with the leadership or have made some changes like the Falcons really need to consider. But the Red Sox have found their new manager. If you haven't heard yet, the Red Sox have hired on Sunday. They made it official that they have hired Houston Astros bench coach Alex Cora to be the 47th manager of the Boston Red Sox. He has been signed to a three-year deal with a club option for the 2021 season. And, yeah, this was a guy who seemingly they really kind of did have pegged from the beginning to be their manager. So there's value for that, that Dombrowski was, well, there's something to say about that, that Dombrowski went out and got the guy that he wanted. A guy who a lot of teams were pretty interested in. I believe the Tigers interviewed him. He refused an interview with the Mets. So... But they still obviously wanted to give him a look. So he's a guy who teams have were interested in. And not to say whether or not he'll be a good manager or a bad manager, because really none of us can really definitively say that about a guy who has yet to be a, 
a manager at the MLB level. But there's just something but just to speak on the fact that the Red Sox were able to go out and get a guy who was in demand. A hot managerial prospect. And I just think that that says something about the perception of the red of this team around the league. Obviously, it's a talented team. We know that. Everybody knows that. But, you know, it's always reaffirming to see that, obviously, you know, guys would like to come manage this team. And maybe it says something about the perception of Dave Dombrowski. Maybe he's a guy who has a little more clout with these guys than some of us give him credit for. But overall, I thought this would take longer. I'm kind of surprised to see that it happened this quickly. But So I never really had chance, time to invest myself in anything besides not hiring Brad Ausmus. Who, by the way, let's just be happy that it's not Brad Ausmus for just a quick second. We can be happy about that for a second, but I think it's a good hire for the team. Alex Cora is going to be a former Red Sox, obviously, is a guy who understands the market. He understands playing in Boston. He's, unlike John Farrell, being a younger guy, being a former player, being a former Red Sox, also being somebody of Latino descent is somebody who will conceivably have an easier time relating to these players. Hopefully he'll be able to take that ability to relate to the players, that better ability to communicate with them. Hopefully he'll be able to utilize that to iron out some of the problems in the clubhouse that the Red Sox clearly were facing this season that, you know, not saying that they were all at the fault of John Farrell, but because I don't blame him really completely and emphatically for the problems in the clubhouse, but still having a manager now who will conceivably have an easier time relating to the players is good. Very good. And I'm not, you know, this doesn't go into how I think his in-game managing will be because in the end, it's an unknown with him. He managed, you know, Puerto Rico to a bird to a to the finals of the World Baseball Series Classic or whatever the hell it's called. But really, I, eh, that doesn't really, you know, give me this shot of confidence in his in-game management. Uh, he was a minor league guy, but once again, eh, he, he was a bench coach, so eh. So really, the the in-game management is an unknown with him. It's a question mark. So I don't want to comment on that now. Mind you, it's not to say that he can be much worse than John Farrell, who, mind you, I think John Farrell had a good a year as he's had in Boston from that perspective, really, except for the whole base-stealing issue. But still, I don't... So I'm not going to say I'm super worried about that because it's not really this team can only go up in that regard. But still, it's a question mark. But just from a personal standpoint, from an ability to relate to the players, Alex Cora is conceivably the kind of guy that you want to be the manager of the Boston Red Sox right now and another plus going for him something that really hasn't really been talked about a lot but something that got brought up I read somewhere is the is the fact that Alex Cora is bilingual Alex Cora can speak Spanish he obviously knows how to relate to Hispanic players managing the Puerto Rico team and there's a lot to that Really, there's more to that than maybe you might think at first glance, which not to say that the Red Sox 
had to hire somebody to speak that could speak Spanish or that had to be one of one of the requirements for the manager. But there's something to be said that they have a manager now who can just talk to some of the players, some of the important players on this team who John Farrell just couldn't or couldn't communicate really well with Xander Bogarts. He can speak English decently, but he's not. I don't believe he's fluent. So there's a little bit of a language barrier there. And that's a guy who has been slumping lately, but has all the talent in the world. A guy that, you know, the manager should be able to talk to. So that's something. Raphael Devers, a young player, a guy who could be a star. Honestly, a guy who I think is one of the most valuable players on this team right now from just what he could become from an asset and ability. I like Raphael Devers. I don't need to get into the specifics, but just a guy who's, one of the pieces of the young core of this team. He can't really speak English that well. So now you have a manager who can talk to that guy, who can hopefully relate to that guy. And I'm not saying that, oh, well, now he can be his best friend. But yeah, there's something to be said from now, from you had a locker room that had a lot of discord where you had a manager who couldn't talk to some of your most important players, who just couldn't talk to them without a translator. So... Now you have that. So I just think that that's something to note as another plus for Alex Cora. Now, there are definitely potential issues that could come from this. Oh, also before that even, another plus for Alex Cora. He is a former media guy. He was part of ESPN's MLB team, which, you know what? For a team that had important players screaming at play-by-play guys screaming at the media for really no good reason. For them to now bring a manager in who understands what it's like to be a part of the media, who understand who understands what it's like being on that side of things. I think that's kind of big. And I think that that might also play into kind of, you know, maybe ironing out things, taking away control of this team from David Price. I think that that's just another underrated thing. You have a guy who's been a player. You have a guy who's been a media guy, so he understands the side of that. And you have a guy who's been in an MLB dugout. He has not been a manager yet, but he's still been around in a dugout as a coach. So I think there's some value to that. You have a guy who understands the media. You have a guy who hopefully won't stand for players lashing out at the media for no reason, but also... A guy who will respect that side of things and hopefully will embed that sort of respect in the team, which hopefully maybe will, again, help some of these issues with this team. Get this team to focus on what matters. Get this team to focus on the game. So, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about Alex Cora. I'm glad that's not Brad Ausmus. I'm glad (laughs) that they're bringing in a guy who hopefully can relate to the players. The in-game management is yet to be seen. But that's only because we haven't seen it. I can't say he's going to be awful at it because we haven't seen it. But I just, I need to see it before I tell you if it's good or not. So, and yeah, I think this was a get for the Red Sox. I can't tell you if it'll be good or not. But he was a guy who other teams are interested in. So, we'll see. We'll see. And we'll get Job's opinions on him. And at some point while he's on, while we do your Job here on the Stadium Experience. But anyway, though. 
We're going to actually take a quick break right now. When we come back, it'll be time to do your Job with Job Gudrid of Real Sports at 101.com. Anyway, though, you're listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN, and we'll be right back after these messages. It's not the size that matters. It's the pleasure it provides. WXIN FM. I'm all right. Nobody but about me. Why you got to give me a fight? Can't you just let it be? Stadium Experience 90.7 WXIN. Jake Elmsley here. It is 4.32 right now, so as we do every week, it's about time to do your Job with Job Gudrid of RealSports101.com. And how you doing, Job? Oh, how you doing, Job? Job. I'm here. Yeah, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Go- I'm great. I'm riding high after Sunday's game, but... And I was talking about this, and I didn't get into the nitty-gritty. I'm not sure how much you heard, but I was just, you know, explaining to the good people of Rhode Island College and the New England area and all my listeners on SoundCloud, which, by the way, every episode of the Stadium Experience goes up on the official Stadium Experience SoundCloud as well as available for download on iTunes, so that's out there. But I was just explaining to all the good people that the Falcons are really dumb. Like, they're just, like, they... They're really dumb, and I really loved, loved seeing that come to fruition for the national TV audience on Sunday. Yeah, I think uh, Dan Quinn earns honors honors there for being uh, one of the worst play callers in uh, in football in this game. And also for the Falcons, just absolutely just destroyed Psyche being on full display. Which is something that we talked about, and I wasn't willing to make that part of my prediction, so bully on me. I don't remember what our predictions were for this game, but they were definitely wrong. Did you write them down for last uh, uh I didn't, but they were definitely wrong. I, I know that I had I had 35 points uh, for the Patriots, but I definitely had points for the Falcons up against our defense. Yeah. I had it being a close game, and uh, I didn't see that, and I'm glad I didn't see that. Um, we'll get we'll get into that in a second, I'm sure. Yeah, and but, I guess uh, going off I of had that, some takeaways from this game that were that were fantastic, and I really enjoyed watching Sunday night's game. It made me feel like uh, we have a competitive Patriots team once again. Yeah, and that's uh, that's another question I want to ask you. Do you attribute the defensive performance of the Patriots only giving up seven points? I really wanted the shutout. I don't know about you, but I was really, really pulling for the shutout more than I've ever done before. But just because I hate this Falcons team and I wanted to see them get embarrassed even more, but do you attribute the defensive performance of the Patriots more to the Falcons just shattered psyche and just conceivably a disability to look at the Patriots and not crap themselves? Or do you attribute it more to just that and then, and if they were going against, you know, any other team with the quality of defense of the Patriots, that they would fare much better if they were in different jerseys or do you just attribute this to a legitimate development by this Patriots defense uh well I attribute it to a few things uh and I I don't attribute it to the fact that they cannot play against the Patriots because you know what they couldn't play against the Dolphins last week and they fell apart against the Dolphins who are uh you know not a very good football team um I think that this Atlanta Falcons team has been highly overrated uh, this year, simply because they had 
you know, that run at the Super Bowl last year, I think Matt Ryan was a, you know, had a a year that won't be replicated again. He had a year, you know, similar to the year that Cam Newton had when he won the MVP, um, you know, where everything seemed to just go his way. And I feel like, you know, we overrated them coming into the season and they're very clearly not as good as we thought they would be. But also I think that we can attribute some of it to Matt Patricia and, and the Patriots defense is, as you and I have been talking about, you know, we needed a get-right game, and I think we finally found of it. Of all teams, it comes against the Falcons. It doesn't come against the Jets. It doesn't come against the Panthers. It doesn't come against the Texans with a rookie quarterback. It comes against the, the highest-scoring offense from last year. Oh, I agree. It I makes think sense. It a strange thing to see, but I think it was. I think it was really. It told us a lot about Matt Patricia, and I think it told us a lot about the Patriots. This Patriots team in general, um, the scheme that we really ran um, seemed to really work, and I know that. You know, we figured out the Falcons last year, and they seemed to run almost the same scheme this time around. Well, that I that's something. Had I, well, hang on, hang on now. Now that's something I disagree with because it seems that with the loss of Shanahan and bringing in ew, Steve Sarkeesian, it it seems like the Falcon they do not look like the same team. That's something I have to disagree. It seems like just the play calling on this team. It seems like they're just they're not. It, they're not doing the things that they were doing well last year. And I don't know, maybe you can attribute that in part to the fog and all that, but it just seems like Matt Ryan is just going for all these little dump-offs to, like, Taylor Gabriel and Austin Hooper, and it seems like they're not really featuring Julio Jones a lot, which is something that they've said they want to do more, but want and do are different. But I, I have to disagree with you on that, that because I think this team is as talented, if not more talented, than it was last year. I don't dis- I don't think they are overrated unless you're like me and you just believe in the Super Bowl hangover and how mentally broken this team is. But if you don't believe in that, I don't think you're overrating them to say that they're still an 11-12 win team. But it's seemingly going from Kyle Shanahan, who is wildly overrated, but still did good things for that offense last year. It seems like they're not making the same kind of play call. It seems like they're doing a lot of like boot action stuff. Like it just doesn't feel like they're utilizing all the weapons that they legitimately have on that team. But anyway, continue. Um, you know, I had a few takeaways from this game, and one of them one of them was that I think that Matt Patricia had uh, you know a great day on play calling. Um, you know, I don't think the coaching for Atlanta is anywhere near as good as they were last year. I don't think it was I that think, good last you know, year. Going for going for, I don't think it was that good last year either. But they had so much talent that they were able to play their way you know, into the Super Bowl and make it a very close game, you know, being up 28 to three and I don't Mm -hmm. want to get into it, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, in this game, they went for it in the first half on fourth down twice. Um, and one of them, Oh, trust me. I went into that. Fourth and six. I I went into that. I know you, I know you went, I know you went into it and I, I, I'm, I'm sure that you talked about, you know, how stupid that play call is, especially the, you know, just a, a lob to Muhammad Sanu that could have been, no, no. Cause that's that's Dan that's Dan Quinn trying to prove that he can outcoach Bill Belichick. That's all that is. Yeah, and he, and that's he can. them be, that's and them I, panicking and trying to prove and just not doing the smart easy thing. And I think that that really allowed us. That was really the turning point in the game. That it really allowed us to, you know, show what we were capable of. I mean, our defense came up big uh, in this game. I thought that they played. Uh, extremely well in coverage, especially our secondary played very well. Um, one of which, you know, I mean, we held the Falcons to two of nine, uh, two of nine on third down, and one for three on fourth down. Mm-hmm. Um, 
with you know some sacks. So I thought the the defensive scheme was was pretty good. I I liked the combinations and the way that we played against Julio Jones. I thought that the way that they really um, covered it, you know, um, Bad Mosi, who you and I talked about, um, yes, previously yes. about how we didn't know, we didn't even really know his name, couldn't pronounce it, didn't know where he really stood. He stood out in this game. I mean, Absolutely. he only did four four defensive snaps, but without Eric Rowe and Stephon Gilmore, he really stepped up. And really, when you get, I don't the, know if you it, saw, I don't know if you saw what Belichick said um, about Badamosi on that, but about how Badamosi's kind of played himself into conversation here. You know, when Stefan Gilmore comes back from this concussion, yeah, and that's something that I want to talk about. Going to be easy, and that's something I want to talk about now because I mean, I don't know if you read the advanced metrics, but I only read it after the first half. I believe Badamosi had not given up a single reception, not one. No, he, I, I, he had been targeted I, I a few times. I, I do not read the stats for the full game, but during the first half, he did not give up a single reception. I'm pretty sure according to pro football focus. It might have been one. I might be wrong. But either way, I mean, Batamosi, the last couple of weeks has been outstanding. Against the Jets, he was outstanding. And this is a guy who they brought in at the end of the offseason, maybe even before. Was it before or after the fourth preseason game that they traded for him? Uh, I think it was just before the fourth preseason game, but we didn't see him in that game, as far as uh, as far as I remember. No, but a guy who has um, not been here a long, who had not been here a long time, a guy who was brought in to be a special teams guy, has been, yeah, he's been nothing short of amazing so far. And you're right, that does start to beg the question because today, even Stefan Gilmore practiced today, so conceivably he might be out of the concussion protocol. So it is a very good chance that Stefan Gilmore plays this Sunday, plays in the game, is completely able to play. And then the big question now, and it seems like Eric Rowe is still going to be hurt. He did not practice today. Hightower also didn't practice today. Lange still isn't practicing. Amendola didn't practice either, which I don't know how to feel about that. But still. Um, well, Gilmore I- will be there this week. And then it starts to beg the question, do you – do you play Batamosi? Did Batamosi get more snaps than Gilmore now this week? How much do we see of both of them against the Chargers? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a little soundbite here from from Belichick, and and then we'll get into it. He said this league's very competitive, and we know we're all judged on our performance and our production. So when these opportunities come, you've got to take advantage of them. And he was talking about Batamosi there when he was asked about that. And you know, Batamosi played 55 of 57 snaps on defense this week. And like you said, he performed very well. I think he, he leapfrogged Stefan Gilmore, um, you know, in the rotation for, mm-hmm. for two reasons. And one, one is that Stefan Gilmore really hasn't seemed to pick up Matt Patricia's defensive scheme with the exception of uh, the game against Tampa Bay where he pretty much played, you know, man-on-man coverage against Mike Evans all night um, and really didn't play any zone. I think Batamosi is really giving a little bit more flexibility to Matt Patricia, that's what we saw in this game, was a little bit of man-to-man, a little bit of zone, uh, some blitzing. I, I thought that his performance was, was very good, um, very impressive. And, you know, Malcolm Butler, you know, we could talk all, all we want about, about uh, Bad Mosey, but Malcolm Butler continues to yeah. be excellent. No, the entire secondary was excellent in this and game, Malcolm I think. Butler, Malcolm Ch- Butler even really, Chung really was covering receivers at a point. I mean, Chung was co- covering Sanu at points. The entire secondary played excellent. I mean, the entire defense. I, I, obviously, I when agree. you give up, when you shut out a team like the Falcons for all but the last four minutes of the game, everything was going well. There's nothing about the defense. Even David Harris 
was able to come out and play. And we talk about that in a second, but no, I I can't say I'm not certain that we're going to see Batamosi leapfrog Stefan Gilmore. I'm gonna be honest, I think for a couple of reasons. One, you have to hope that Stefan Gilmore is more talented than Batamosi, which he is. He's a more talented player. He's a he guy is. He is he's a guy who player, at points in, he's a guy who at points in his career has looked like a true number one shutdown corner. He hasn't consistently been that, but at points and when he was in Buffalo, he looked like he had the potential to be that guy. And another thing to that is I think that Bill Belichick, the GM, would like to see Stefan Gilmore succeed. If anything, yeah, I think he does too. As for a point of pride that you're paying this guy this year $23 million, I would think that they would want to see this guy play. And also, I, I mean, no, I think I also, agree, but I, I differ in, in opinion as to, as to how that's going to really impact the Patriots, and I'll get to that in a second, but you finish your point. And also, I think to another degree, I mean, I think honestly, as much as I love it and I love Batamosi now, I think that I don't think it's sustainable. I think it would be kind of silly for us to think that he's just suddenly evolved out of nothing into this, you know, this lockdown corner and that it probably the wheels will fall off it eventually, which if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If like if we're sitting here in you know, 10 weeks and Batamosi is a pro bowler and this and that and he's, you know, leading the Patriots defense into the playoffs, then fine, I'm wrong, but I just, you know, law of averages, I can't imagine that he keeps up this pace. I imagine he'll eventually fall off and he'll just go back to being, you know, a special teams guy, a fourth, fifth corner guy, but maybe I'm wrong, but it's just, I would feel like this Patriots team also, if we're assuming that, that Batamosi isn't suddenly this, you know, this top 10 corner in the league, this team will need to, needs to get Stefan Gilmore going at some point. If they want to succeed going into the playoffs, they need to get they need to be able to utilize that kind of talent. And you can't get him going if he's not playing is another point. Now, not to say that they should completely bench Batamosi. Batamosi has obviously earned playing time. They should work him into the rotation as much as they can. Maybe play more nickel. The three safety look for this team really hasn't been tremendous this year, but that's been to do with their injuries. And plus, you know, with Eric Rowe potentially being out for this game, that opens up a ton of snaps. So I just I I think that there are a lot of factors that will lead to Stefan Gilmore still being a prime part of the rotation as soon as he's ready to come. Oh, you know, most I agree I agree with most of those points. The only point that really makes me you know, makes me think that this that's not gonna be the case is that I think Bill Belichick, the GM, you know, he might want it to work out as a GM, but I think coach Bill Belichick, you know, once that se- once the season starts really takes precedence and he knows what he needs in order to compete. Um, and Matt Patricia's defensive scheme seems to work a little bit better with Batamosi than it does with with uh, Stefan Gilmore. And, you know, it depends on really what kind of look they want to throw at the L.A. Chargers, who, you know, we'll get to in a minute, but are much better than people are giving them credit for. You know, they've Absolutely. lost some games, but they've lost games to really legitimate they're opponents. Five and, they're 5-1 if they have a real kicker. They're 5-1 exactly. right now. If they have a real and kicker, they're 5-1. Exactly. And one. exactly. They're, they're, they're a really good team. Uh, they've lost to some competitive teams. But every single game they've played in has been close, and I think that Philip Rivers is a quarterback that actually we need to worry about, and I feel like the defensive scheme, especially next week, uh, we won't want to simplify that in order to just make Stephon Gilmore comfortable. So I wouldn't be surprised if next week we see a lot about Amosi. No, I'm not saying that we won't. I think that he should stay in the rotation until 
he can't. Honestly, like until the wheels fall off it, which, you know, I still think will happen, not to be a pessimist, but to be a realist. Usually guys don't just become elite cornerbacks out of nowhere, but except for Malcolm Butler, I guess. Eh, well, maybe. Maybe it's going to be Malcolm Butler 2.0. Anyway. Yeah, maybe it could happen. It could happen. It could happen. happen. You're right. You're right. But just, you know, if I'm being real, if I'm being rational, until the wheels fall off, I say, you know, ride the guy. I say you keep Stefan. If, if I'm in charge, I say keep Batamosi in the starting lineup until it just doesn't work anymore. Hope that that motivates Stefan Gilmore, which I'm sure it would, and I'm sure it will. I would hope that Stefan Gilmore is looking at this, you know, this nobody come out of nowhere, be doing his job, be doing it better than him, getting all this praise. I would hope that that motivates Stefan Gilmore. And I would say, you know, just ride Batamosi until, you know, the wheels fall off. And then you have this super talented guy who hasn't been playing up to his potential waiting in the wing. But I just think that rationally the Bill Belichick wants to get his $60 million cornerback going. I agree. And I think Stefan Gilmore is a, a better talent. Um, but I, I want to move past Stefan Gilmore for a second. If, if you'll yeah, I mean, just just talk in, about, we have some negatives in this game. That yeah. I, I mean, in general, what is your, well, we, first, well, what's your general impression of the game? Just overall, uh, overall, I think we, we looked really good. Um, we looked a lot more like the, the Patriots that we're used to seeing and a lot less like the Patriots who've been struggling to string together wins, even at five and two. Um, you know, we did have some negatives in this game. We had, you know, the in, the injuries to uh, specifically Dante Hightower. Who did not practice um, today. Who you know, did not practice and who is a, a key component to our defense. You know, I mean, Malcolm Butler hurt his ankle. Um, Chris Hogan uh was was also banged up. I know that he I know that he's you know somewhat of a tank um and he should be playing. Um but he's got the rib injury and I, I the injuries continue to pile up and I know you said Amandola didn't practice. Which Some, you, know, you know might have just been rest. Might have just been it rest, been rest also. You know, Amandola's not young anymore. But you know the injuries continue to pile up for this team and I think that was one negative. The other negative was that Brady really did get hit in this game. Yeah, uh, Brady, uh, Brady was getting Brady beat up really in the first half. I will say that in the yeah. second half, they were protecting him better. But no, you're right. In the first half. We did play, especially on that the, the penalty, you know, that called, that called back his interception. Yes, that um, was brutal. He really got hit. That, even if that um, did get called back on what was a bad decision by Brady, they were bailed yeah, out it, there. But it, 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 he was. We were bailed out by the, by the flag. But no, you're right. For him to be hit. taking, even if the hit helped them, he should not. They should not be letting him take hits like he that. He should not be taking that hit. I mean, if At we have to give up seven seven points so that he doesn't take that hit i'm okay with that um i think maybe not on the on the grand scheme of a big game but this early in the season we can't really we cannot have our, our quarterback be taking hits a like 40 that, year old guy 40 taking, years old no matter how much um, you know how, no matter how much concussion water he's drinking he's not yeah no exactly the the tb12 method can't prevent you know hits like that from taking a toll on your body and i know he continues to say i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine but you know, there there was a point already in the season when he's had an MRI and when he's been he's been injured. You know, we know his left collarbone is hurting. And Brady will play through shoulder. anything that he can. He'll he'll play through it, and I mean he's playing very well. So I don't want to I don't really want to rag on Brady. No, it's not on really Brady. It's on the team's on the ability to protect line. him. I don't even really want to rag on the offensive line in this game because no. you know I'm sure we'll get to it in a second. They played they played a lot better than they have been playing. Um, but overall, this game was very was, was very impressive. Um, 
you know, they finally did the things that we've been looking for them to do for the last three or four weeks, such as get the run game started, yes. play some lockdown defense, put some pressure on the quarterback. Um, even with no picks this week, you know, we did put pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, Matt Bryant missed two field goals, uh, one of which was blocked by Kathy. So Mark. even on special, so on special teams, they were playing well, even. On special I think we played well in all three phases of the game. I think we, 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 there's not much we could have done uh, better except, you know, maybe, you know, prevent the hit on Brady and, and you know, that last really angry touchdown from yeah, Julio Jones but, I mean, where he that's gonna ripped co- the ball away from Malcolm Butler. Yeah, but I mean, I Mal- that was an interception. Uh, also, though, Malcolm Butler played that ball perfectly, so I'm not, like, particularly worried about that because in the end you don't really want Malcolm Butler on a guy like Julio Jones because you see there, even if he plays it perfectly in the end, Guys like that are just bigger and stronger, and they're probably going to win at the point of attack. But no, you're, I mean, still, it wasn't. It wasn't. But I just, I don't worry about that look because it, it, schematically they played it perfectly. Really, I agree. I think, I think, really, in all three phases of the game, we played very well this week. Um, but I also don't think we were playing a quality opponent the way that we all thought we were going to see. I don't want to go that far because the was when, our... when we saw there was a Super Bowl rematch coming up on the schedule, I think next week is a much bigger litmus test. I think the Chargers are much better than the Falcons. I can't. I'm. Um, I can't say that. I can't say that from a talent perspective. Now, from a playing New England perspective, I can agree with that. But I mean, from a talent, this was a talented team. As much as I've been ragging on how dumb they are, I don't want to downplay. This is a very talented team that the Patriots were able to. Absolutely dominate. Now another I thing. I agree. I agree. They're very well. Hang on, hang on, hang on. But when you go for it on fourth and six. No, like they're a dumb team. That's my point. They 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 lose something when they play the Patriots for some reason. But another thing that you were talking about the running game and something that's happened in this game has been the emergence of Dion Lewis. Seemingly, Dion Lewis has emerged as the feature back for this team. As close as this team yeah, I think, has I think to feature- you're right. I think Dion Lewis has reemerged, though. I think reemerged is the right word. Yes, I mean, from what he was. knee injury, that's what he, that's what he was in 2014. Um, or maybe it was 2015 when he was really the go-to back and no one could stop him. Yeah, and it um, seems like he's regained. Like, last year he was around, but he didn't look the same guy. It seems like he's regaining a lot of that speed, some of that explosiveness that he had I feel like he's a lot more a lot more sure on his knee uh he looks a lot better in the sharp cuts and in the second efforts you know there was a time there was a point in this game especially when he got tackled he had three Atlanta Falcons around him and he managed to get another four yards after after contact yes and it feels like Um, almost every time like every single time he seems to really get yards Exactly, and he averaged in this game four five point eight yards per carry on a seven yards off of 13 carries and yeah, it seems like he's really emerging as the feature guy for this team, even with Rex Burkhead being healthy now, even with James White being around, with Gillisley seemingly kind of fading into the background. It well, seem- it seems to me like every time Gillisley gets the ball, he gets maybe one or two yards and that's it. And he's not really being that big play guy that we used to have in LeGarrette Blunt. Um, it seems like we're playing with a little bit more of a backfield by committee. I mean, Burkhead added 31 yards in this game. Burkhead had a good. Uh, Deion had, Lewis was effective. Yeah, he did have a good catch on the, in the secondary. Burkhead was effective on the drive that he was able, on the drive where he played. I would have liked. Exactly. To, I would have liked to have seen a little more of Burkhead, honestly. But whatever. I'm not going to criticize them for what they. I, I agree. I think that you know we really played well this week. I mean, we we were overmatched size-wise against the Atlanta defensive front seven, and I think we really did a good job of exploiting that. Um, we were able to open up some holes for Deion Lewis to get into the secondary, and he's a very nifty guy, side-to-side uh, kind of back. 
and he managed to make it worth it. I mean, he's, his yards after contact, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm sure they're, they, they've got to be pretty high because every time I see him, no, he's d- dragging some defender or he's just, for another he's three just yards. getting through them. and would start. I won't say he looks quite like prime Deion Lewis yet because I was obsessed with Deion Lewis. What he first came oh, into I doing agree. I, I, was thought, obs- I thought Deion Lewis was going to be the reason that Tom Brady plays until 45. I was When obsessed. he first came on board, I was like, he was making everybody every miss. He would make, I mean, well, he had that play against the Cowboys where he made four or five guys miss. Like he, and he's getting back to that. He could potentially get back to that now if he gets better. But Deion Lewis is seemingly emerging as the feature back. I agree, and I know that Dion Lewis is, seems to be the feature back, and James White is a, you know, a really pass-heavy kind of guy. I mean, I, something like 87% of the time that we run Dion Lewis out there, it's a pass. Um, but he's really good in the flat. I mean, he had a touchdown in this game. Um, Brady seems to really trust him to handle the football when he's passed the football. Uh, in order to make the catch and turn up yes, field. Yes, and finally we're I seeing the, the running backs. I think the by committee is very, is, is very impressive. I thought the, the, the play calling from from uh, Josh McDaniels in this game was, you know, could not have been much better. Yeah, and we're seeing them now. We talked about this for a long time. We're seeing them now incorporate the running backs into the offense more. Like we want to see them well, do. Well, I mean, and that it, hel- it helps when, you're, uh, when your running backs can actually run the football. I mean, what we saw in the first couple weeks was, you know, first week, Gillingsley put up touchdowns, and he was really effective in the red zone, and we thought, oh, my goodness, like, we just replaced LeGarrette Blunt with a cheaper and better version. No, and listen, and, and, and a guy who I was excited you know, he about can't do it. a lot in the offseason. Now, but... now, now he just can't seem to make it work, no, uh, whereas and... Deion Lewis seems to really step up. And mind you, I don't situation. really love the way that they've been utilizing Gillisley, I really didn't like the call to give him on stretch runs on the goal line. I thought that was stupid. I know that it worked week one, but it hasn't really worked since, so I think that that was kind of dumb. I think that if they want to establish him as a power back, they should try to be doing more of that up the middle. But that was a t- one play call I could complain about. But I just would say that. They seem to be trying to do too many of these little outside runs with him. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, which I, I don't agree with. I think he's more of a power back like you do and that Deion Lewis should be using more of those situations or Rex Burkhead. But anyway, but anyway, that, anyway like I was saying. call in the rest of the game. A little, scheme, from a scheme perspective, I think it was very good play calling by Josh McDaniels. And another note about the run game is the beginning of the game, the first drive or so, they kept trying to run play action very early on. Like a couple of their first few plays were play action, and Brady was getting destroyed on them. And I was – it was kind of getting to me. It was getting on my nerves a little bit. But then after they established the run, <laughs> they were able to – I know to, how much you've been waiting to say that. They were able to actually run the play action, which is like they were doing it in the opposite order to start the game. But then once they actually were able to, they weren't establishing the run, but once they did, they were actually able to throw off Atlanta and use the play action, which is another thing that this team hasn't been able to do so well up to this point in the season until the last few weeks, which is great. It seems like they're like the team is clicking now, which we always thought was a possibility. I know that it seemed like the sky was falling to start the year, but we knew that they had the coaching to kind of get right things, and I think we might be starting to see that. Now they're entering a tough portion of their schedule, I think, but I feel more confident about this team than I did a couple weeks ago. And another thing to bring up is now looking back in retrospect, talking about the defense again. Looking back, in retrospect, the defense has been playing pretty well the last couple of weeks. Against Tampa Bay, they gave up 14 points. Against the Jets, they gave up 17. And this week, they gave up 7. So, the last three weeks, they have not given up 20 points. 
So yeah, no, they've been trending in the right direction in the last three weeks, and you and I have, have talked about it. And we said we want to give them a little bit of credit. We need to see more. And now I that think, we've seen you know, more, maybe looking back, have there been more quality defensive performances over the last month? Since I, I think there has been. There's no doubt about that. I think we've seen some some players, especially, have stepped up uh, in a big way. I mean, there were some names on defense this week making plays who I, I you know, I had to look up and, and, you know, why don't I know this guy? I mean, I know who they all are. I knew the, who's on the roster. But some of these guys, I was very, you know, shocked to see them actually making plays. Um, I thought we had some really good blitzes on, Mal- on um, Matt Ryan, rather, up the middle. That really seemed to, you know, make them uncomfortable. Yep, the good, pass rush was there. Scheme, the pass rush was there, and some of our rookies have really stepped up into the system. Um, and it really made me think that maybe this, this talk about how there's a, you know, a you know, the system really is is what makes these these players great. I'm starting to buy into that as I see like these less talented players or these rookies on the defensive seven step up and play beyond what I thought their ability was going to be. Yeah, I mean, Adam Butler had a sack from the D-tackle position. He had a sack from the interior. And the Falcons' interior line is no joke. And Dietrich Wise started this week, which I was glad to see. And he played pretty well. He didn't have any sacks, but he had plenty of pressures. So, yeah, we're seeing the defense step up. And in the month of October, they have been, they've been averaging like 14 points a game, which is outstanding. And not to say that they can keep up that kind of pace, but they've also played two quality offenses. I think the... I think the Buccaneers are a quality offense. The Jets are, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, jerk them off what they did against the Jets, but the Falcons, that's a very high. The Falcons high... are a legit team. And yes, I think so the they've been really playing legit well. chance that we've had to see the, the defense really perform, and they stepped up and they rose to the occasion. I don't know how much of that was Matt Patricia and his play calling, um, how much was performances, but a lot of these guys seem to just be stepping in and doing their job and filling that role. Yes, uh, so if they can, you know, I would feel very – I would feel excellent about this team if they could close out the month of October with a good defensive performance against LA, which I think I agree. is. I think if I think if we and I, I don't think that that's too much of a reach. No, um, I don't either. I think LA is a good team. I think they're much better than they have been in past years. They have and a lot. They have a lot of good Rivers weapons. Is a very good, uh, no, a very have, good quarterback. Yeah, and they have a lot of good um, weapons on that team. Melvin Gordon exactly. has been out. I have Melvin Gordon in all my fantasy leagues, and he's been outstanding on the ground as a receiver. He's not a guy you think about as a receiver, but I think he has four or five touchdowns through the air now at this point in the year. He did not He did not have a good game last week against Denver, but whatever. He's been outstanding all year. They have Keenan Allen, who I think is an excellent receiver. They have Mike Williams. They have Hunter Henry, Antonio Gates. Like, they are a team with a lot of weapons and a quarterback who knows how to use them. But I agree, and I think he spreads the ball in the right way, and it might it's a real test to our defense this week. If we can see the same kind of progression that we've been seeing in the last two or three games, I think we come away with a win, and we come away feeling a lot better about this Patriots team than we do right now. No, and a team that's managed to climb back and now is tied for the best record in the AFC, which I think is impressive. I, I, I agree, and I, I think a lot of you know I want to get to it in a second about the competition that we see because I think some of these teams are fading and others are stepping up, but... I think, you know, the, the AFC is really, as usual, our, ours to seize or, or to lose. Mm-hmm. And if we have another defensive performance like we did this week against a legitimate team in Los Angeles, I think that, you know, you, you'll see me being a lot more high on the Patriots than, than I have been in weeks past. Yeah, and a point you're talking about, the, the competition in the AFC, 
One another thing we've seen the last couple of weeks has been the Steelers, a team who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, maybe being dead, maybe Ben Roethlisberger being totally done. And after his game last week, we still weren't sure. But the Steelers now we're seeing are really coming on. The Steelers are yeah, now. Yeah, that's that's the team that I was thinking about specifically when I mentioned that they're really coming on strong, they, uh, especially on offense. On off, their defense specifically has been playing tremendously. A lot of their young players have really been coming on the last couple of weeks. I mean, they gave up, I think, eight yards in the second half. And for some reason, I watched this whole whole game. They gave up, I think, eight. They gave up almost zero yards to the Bengals, who was a decent offensive team, in the second half. They gave up 13 points to the Chiefs last week. And you're seeing a lot of their good young players. Ryan Shazier is coming on. Bud Dupree is coming on. TJ Watt is coming on in a big way. A lot of these players... Who, a lot of these, you know, these pass rushing front seven guys who they have drafted very high the last few years have been coming on. And that's not even talking about their other, you know, their high talent, you know, their Tuits, their Casey Hayward. It seems like on defense, they've been coming on. The addition of Joe Hayden has been pretty big for them. Artie Burns has even been playing well. Like they've had guys. I, I agree. I think that they, they've been, you know, p- performing much better than you and I gave them credit for. And we thought, you know, after Ben Roethlisberger threw five interceptions, that maybe they would fade into the background and not really be a threat to the AFC. Um, but their defense has really kept them in it, and I think their usage of Le'Veon Bell, who is an explosive kind of player, who's been making defenses look, frankly, been making defenses look really exposed and really silly in the last few weeks, uh, has really covered up the fact that Roethlisberger looks like he's almost done. Um, and they look like they might have one more run in them. Absolutely. And uh, just, with, if they can keep that up, they look like the most, they look like a very complete team right now. More I agree. Whereas there are other teams who seem to be, you know, uh, doing the opposite and regressing in Kansas city, for example, I think, you know, uh, Kareem Hunt is starting to slow down a little bit. I think it's, it's going to start exposing them pretty soon. Uh, Smith is starting to regress to a normal quarterback average and not look like Tom Brady every week. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them fall off the top of the AFC sometime in the next few weeks and to see them replaced by the Steelers and Patriots as the two really big threats in the AFC. Yeah, so I mean that that um, game in in Pittsburgh for the Patriots is going to be one to watch because right now I don't know who I'd say is a better team between the two of them. Uh, I agree and I know that that's one of the games that we circled at the beginning of the year that I said that I thought we would go 14 and 2 and we might lose that game. Um it's it's worrying me more and more as we get into the season. Um, because they look a lot better than I thought they were going to look. Um, and our defense still, still, I, I can't commit to loving this defense yet. So no, absolutely not. But um, I really, you know, that's going to be a really big game. I think we have a couple big games coming up because I think Derek Carr and Amari Cooper, you know, uh, are, are, deep, yes, are they seem to be coming scary on combination down in Mexico city, um, in a neutral site that really isn't very neutral. I think Oakland has the upper hand there, especially with us on the West coast. Uh, in Denver before that. No, the Patriots are um, entering a tough part of their schedule right now. So, yeah, we're coming on to a really tough part, and thank goodness that we have the bye week, uh, not not this week, but next week, because these injuries are starting to pile up like we talked about. No, and being and able to if go... If we have a healthy team going down the scratch is, is extremely important. No, I mean, I look at their schedule right now. I mean, they play... There's a tough little sect of their schedule right now, but they're playing... L.A., then they play the Broncos, who looked very bad last week, looked bad the last two weeks, but I still like that team a decent amount. They still have the pass rushers to take advantage of the Patriots' O-line. They, then they face the Raiders, who have been coming on strong lately. Then I mean, then it's a bunch of divisional games, but 
I can't imagine that the Patriots don't lose one of the divisional games just because they always do when the AFC. I would, I would be, I would be surprised if we don't lose one, one of those games. And I would be surprised if it's the game against the bills. Um, yeah, I, I mean, think listen. the bills look a lot better than people are giving them credit for. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, how many games do you see the Patriots of their next nine games? Do you see them winning? Like what's your, uh, what's I a see, reasonable. I see, going, I see us going 12 and 12 and four on the season. So losing maybe two more games down the stretch. Um, I think that game, that real that divisional game against the the Bills, I can't remember what week it is right now. There's um, one. There's, I'll pull it up. There's one week sixteen and there's one week thirteen. I wouldn't be surprised if week thirteen, um, you know, we we have a little in bit of Buffalo with, with the Bills in Buffalo, um, and it's you know it's in between a slew of divisional games, um, but I also at home against the Bills in week sixteen. Oh yeah, forget um, about it. I'm not even the game, worried about that. Is the, is, the, is the game after the Steelers. Um, so it really depends on how we come out of that Steelers game, how I'm going to feel. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we lose one of those divisional games down the stretch. Um, and I really think Mexico City is going to be a tough, a tough game against mm-hmm. the Raiders team that's truly trying to claw their way back into it as Kansas City looks vulnerable. Uh, Oakland looks like they're building momentum. And Amari Cooper looks like a really legitimate weapon that's emerging over there in Yeah, Oakland. after slumping for most of the year. He was incredible on Thursday Night Football. But yeah, I mean, to me, I would say that reasonably, I'd say the Patriots, I they would prob they will probably go six and three to close out the year. I just between the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Patriots, I just I see them losing one of those three games. Then I think they'll lose one of the divisional games. I don't really see them losing to the Matt Moore Dolphins, but you know, dumber things have happened. And then I don't know. I just I don't feel great right now about the Steelers matchup, but that could turn out. To I be really a, don't. I think that that's the matchup that we really need to circle, especially on the in Pittsburgh, which that game will be very big. I feel for seeding in the AFC, but I, I agree. And I, but I, we also have, you know, we have the jets uh, in the, in the last week of the season. Um, and I think that if we can close it out and, and, come up with a big win against the Steelers, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jimmy G in that game against the Jets. With the amount of hits um, that, that Brady's been taking, with the amount I of hits that Brady's that. been taking to give him to give him, you know, I don't think we'll see it in week seventeen against the Bills because I think the Bills really pose a threat to us, especially in the way that they can get after the quarterback. Um but I think that the Jets are, are gonna, you know, slowly start to die. I mean I know that they they played pretty well against us last time, but I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year they've packed it in and Belichick runs Jimmy Garoppolo out there for at least half the game, if not more, um, mm-hmm. to really you know give Brady a rest because he's been taking a beating. No, I agree with that. Anyway, so before we move on from the Patriots, for this week against the Chargers, what are your predictions? Uh, I see us winning this game. Uh, I see it being a, a tight contest. I'm going to go with uh, 21-14. Okay, yeah, the Chargers have really had a knack for staying in games. I think that the Patriots' defense, I will say, I see 28-21 in this game. I keep going I'm high. Gonna the, I'm going to write these down this time. Yeah, I keep so going we high. We can, we can discuss it next week. I know I keep going um, high with the scores, but I'm not going to stop. I see 28-21, and I would feel very good if the Patriots only give up that. I think Melvin Gordon is going to have a very good game. Against Patriots. I think you will too, and unfortunately, I think our defense is going to struggle to stop their run game. It'll be interesting um, to see the matchup between Gilmore and Mike uh, Michael Williams if Gilmore plays, and that'll be a big matchup for Gilmore to try to really shut him down. That's another one of the big body type guys. You bring hopefully bring Gilmore in the stop, so I think that'll be a big thing. I think the matchup of Butler and Keenan Allen also though will be the Patriots. Corners match up well against this Chargers team, so it'll be interesting to see how they go against those matchups. 
I think we'll see a lot. I, of that. I agree, and I think we'll see a lot of good, a lot of good scheming by uh, you know the Patriots coaching staff in order to put together a really good game. Yeah, I agree with that. So those are the predictions. I'm 28-21. Job is 21-14. We'll just we'll, we'll rip the Band-Aid on Patriots. We, this has been almost all Patriots for the first hour and change of this show, except for a little little segment in the Red Sox. But let's move on to let's move on to some hoops. So the Celtics so far. I mean, what have you so far? The Celtics obviously since losing Hayward, that's super deflating for the team. But they wait, they've been able to string together their first two wins of the season now. Last game a couple of days ago against the 76ers and last night they were able to really dominate the Knicks 110 to 89 and as deflating as seeing Gordon Hayward go down and how that changes what this team is what they are competitively who they'll be going forward I've personally personally seen a lot of things with the Celtics the last couple of games that I think are positives Altogether. I think so too. I think even well, in hang, our on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me just let me. Sorry, thing. sorry. Let me. Uh-huh. A lot of things I've seen as positives. I think obviously Jalen Brown has been excellent to this point in the season, and an, a lot of these kind of unheralded guys on this team also have been playing very well. Well, I think the poster child for that up to this point has been Terry Rozier who has had 10-plus points in almost every game this year. He didn't last night. He was only he only scored six, but that also came with... Oh, excuse me, he scored eight. But that also came with six rebounds, six assists. He's been playing good defense. Daniel Thesis, I think, has been good. Aaron Baines, I think, has been excellent for the Celtics up till this point. He didn't start... Oh, he did start last night, but I think Aaron Baines has been excellent, being the type of big, meaty rim protector they were lacking last year. Shane Larkin, even has looked pretty good. I just think overall there are some positives to take now from the Celtics. I don't know if you've been seeing that too, I think, Joe. I think so, and I think that they, they, positives get overlooked by the fact that, you know, Hayward went down and they were supposed to be the number one juggernaut in the conference. Um, I think the rookies the, the rookies look fantastic. You know, Jason Tatum has performed to a level that is so superior in any other way to anyone else in that draft class, especially Markel Fultz that he's making Danny, Danny Ainge really look like a genius uh, with that trade uh, more and more as every, as every day goes by. Uh, he put up. He had 22 points last points night. This week he had 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen Brown had 23. Um, 18 in the first half also. Exactly. And, you know, there was a stretch there where Tatum really took over and put together 10 points in a row um, to start, to start a really good stretch in the, in the second quarter. Um and you know there was some there was an alley oop jam there. There was some some defense and a four rebound. The athleticism on this team is like nothing we've it. ever seen. I don't think exactly. And I think they're they're really. Uh, I don't want to compare anyone to Paul Pierce. You know, five games into their career, but Jason Tatum looks like he could be that transcendent player. I don't really want to lay too much at the on the rookie. Um, or even on, on Brown, who's you know a second year player who's really stepped up, who's been the leading um, scorer for the team up till this point. Leading scorer, and he's also playing great defense with some blocks and um, some assists. I think that, you know, this team altogether is really built to withstand the injury to Gordon Hayward. I think um, we're going to get a big boost when Morris comes back next week. Um, he looks to be reevaluated on Halloween. 
mm-hmm. um, and hopefully make hopefully his he's in then. shape because I'm not. I mean, I can't help but not be happy with him for not being in condition. But you're right. If he's able to come I, I back, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm very I'm very unhappy with that as well. But I mean, we are replacing Amir Johnson here. No, yeah, um, no, the most out of shape good point. center in that's the NBA. That's a very good point. Um, so so if more... he comes back and he can perform, um, I mean, I know that we gave up a lot to pick up these guys and giving up the defense that we had in in um, Avery Bradley. We really seem that we're built to to succeed, and I think um, the defense has been good. Injury, I think the defense was. I think our defense has been fantastic. The defense was really outstanding. up individuals. The defense was uh, outstanding last night, and something that I really, agree. I mean, and something that really I think got lost in last. And it's the Knicks. I mean, I don't want to get too. Sorry, it is the Knicks. We can't, I don't. We can't I don't want to really gush, up, but another uh, thing that's not really being talked. Oh, so, well, something else I've been noticing has been really this season, and and if you just let me talk to something about this, on this season in general has been. The emergence of Al Horford as much more of a leader on this team. Al Horford is. I agree. On, I mean, Al, hang on, hang on. Defensive player too. No, and, and Horford has been is the oldest player on this team right now at 31, which is crazy with how young this team is. But Al Horford has emerged. I think he's been more aggressive this year. Last year, criticism of him. Of him one of my criticisms of him was he just didn't seem aggressive enough. He didn't seem like he was taking shots that were put up for him. He seemed like he was almost too willing to be a team guy, but. This year we're seeing that he's taking more shots. He's doing more he's taking more shots from everywhere, really. And he just he seemed more aggressive, which is something this team's gonna need if they wanna have something close to the success that they were gonna have with Gordon Hayward. They need Horford to be one of the guys that takes over. And then last night he played outstanding defense on Christoph's Porzingis. Uh, he gave up twelve points to uh, you know, the young phenom who everyone seems to think is, is one of the, you know, the next great stars. I mean, and, he's already an all-star. He's already a fantastic And he player. gave up, I think, two um, points in the first half. I agree, and, and he played very, very well. I think even the loss to Milwaukee, um, you know, I, I think we played very well. Um, you know, I think Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak, is, is a machine. I think he's actually the best player in the NBA. Um, he's averaging 38 points a game this early in the season. Um you know, not being able to shut him down doesn't worry me because I feel like in Nobody's any, in shut any him down. game, in any game, no one's going to be able to shut down that one star for an entire game. Um, but we hung in there, and we hung in there. You know, opening night, even without Gordon Hayward for for a good period of time against against Cleveland, I wouldn't be surprised if if the emergence of uh, you know Brown and Tatum continues to you know shock because they're going to get the minutes that you know they normally would not get. Uh, with Hayward in the lineup, I think they're going to have to play a little bit bigger um, because we don't have a real big presence in this team. Which is uh, what part of the advantage lineup. of having Aaron Baines, I think, is why Aaron Baines has been exactly. a phenomenal Aaron signing Baines so far. Very, very physical, um, especially in the paint, which I love. Um, and I think that you know Hayward, Hayward's injury really you know threw a wrench into the plans that Danny Ainge uh, had for this team going forward. I know that he's been he's been ruled out on a return for the year. Um, for the regular season, at least, um, other other people who've had the similar injuries have said, you know, he might be back for the playoffs. He won't be the same player. But I think that this team can make a deep playoff run as they're constructed right now, uh, with or without Gordon Hayward. They might not be the number one or even the number two team in the conference. I think the Wizards have something to say about that. Um, I think John Wall's team is, is, is fantastic, and John Wall is really that next level superstar, um, similar to Kyrie Irving. Right, we have we have put together a good a good team, and I think we can make a deep playoff run. Right, and you know, 
Hayward going down, it takes this team out. This is no longer a finals contender that it was. But I still think that for Celtics fans, there is still some buzz to this team. There's still something to watch here. Yes, they're not better than the Cavs. They're not in that conversation anymore. But there's still the development of these young players and a lot of guys in this team. This is a fun team to watch. I enjoy watching them. I agree. Them. Even without Hayward, agree, I've been enjoy enjoying watching them. Too. They look I agree, better. I think actually that, you know, you're, you're overrating the Cavs here a little bit. They've looked a little bit weak. I mean, I know that Dwayne Wade is going to come off the bench now. Um, he, you know, he's, he's apparently gone to Tyron Lue and asked to come off the bench, which to me tells me that him and LeBron had a conversation as to how they can win another championship and that included him on the bench. Um, right, but, but still, I just, you know, you something know. that you wanted to get to was, was, was these Warriors. Well, hang, I know we, that, hang on, hang on. We can get to that. I, w- I want to hold on. I want to stay on the I'm Celtics. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, but just the athleticism of this team, something I tried to bring up earlier. I don't think we've really ever seen a Celtics team that's this athletic. Now I, I don't think I don't think we have except maybe in 2008 when we won the championship. With even Garnett, then, I don't think that know, that team was physical power. I don't think that that team was that athletic. I don't think that team was nearly as athletic. As, now Kevin Garnett was a specimen. Paul Pierce was very athletic, but Ray Allen wasn't this you no know, high flying guy. Kevin Garnett wasn't this high flying guy. But now you have Jalen Brown, Tatum, Kyrie, who I think we're still waiting to see emerge as a real force for the Celtics. I think he's still. I haven't. He has yet to really take over, which I think is impending. I think once he gets more comfortable, he'll be much more productive than he's been up to this point. I agree. But, yeah, the athleticism on this team is just really fun to watch, and it still sucks about Hayward. It's tragic, but there's still some value to this team. I don't think the season is over yet if you're a Celtic fan. I still think you have plenty of things to watch right now, and hopefully you know, they'll keep up on this route and they'll keep giving the young guys these minutes consistently. I agree. What do you what do you think about about you know uh, you know Kyrie Irving and his participation in this offense? Because so far this season we haven't really seen you know the one dominant scoring performance uh, from him that we all expected him to come in here and, and put up. Now that he's you know the number yeah. one option on an offense, but I, I feel like his distribution of the ball and the way that mm-hmm. this team is constructed, he's really spreading the ball in a way that's allowing these young guys not only to develop but Absolutely. really to like show off their contributions. I mean, right now. If the season ended today, the Patriots, uh, the Celtics would be in the. I don't even know if they'd be in the playoffs. Oh God, well, two games right now. Two, I don't care about that. But, but okay, but on the subject, the, of, the stars on this team are emerging and they're getting brighter every day. And I think a lot of that has to do with Kyrie Irving and his distribution of the basketball. That's I a good point. Taking over games is not necessarily what we need at this point in the season. That's true too, because Kyrie Irving now, especially without Hayward being there, Kyrie Irving is getting keyed in on by defenses he's facing a lot of double teams but a positive that I've that I think we have to gain from this is that something that I think you'd be worried about is that Kyrie would kind of having a reputation being a sort of selfish player you'd be worried that to see him try to just take on those double teams and do it himself and try to prove that he can be his own man but I think that and while I still would like to actually see him be more productive offensively I think the fact that we've seen him be willing to defer the ball pass it to these younger guys not take on these double teams these triple teams all by himself I think that that is good though I think that's a I that's think that's a positive a great thing, thing to see that development of this team. Kyrie I think it's is, more fun to watch. I think it's good to see that Kyrie is willing to still to still be a team player, even when he's not with LeBron, not with Kevin Love. He's willing to not defer, but he's willing to give the ball up to some of these younger guys. And you see it. And the passing has been good. And I hope that as his understanding of the offense gets better, he'll be I'm glad that we're talking about Kyrie not being aggressive enough. I feel like is a positive thing. That we're that that's our problem. We're not here talking about Kyrie taking on everybody. Talking about Kyrie doing the opposite. I mean, Kyrie strikes me as a really uh, a, a rough type of 
type of guy. I'm not on the same level of talent as Russ, obviously, but as that kind of mentality that he wants the basketball and he's going to go at it and he's going to perform and he's going to take over games is really what I was scared of. Um, him coming in and doing what Russ did last year, but not really passing the ball enough to really get us the W and maybe just put up stats. Mm-hmm. He's done the opposite. He's made sure that we get the win. And some of his stats have suffered offensively. He hasn't been, you know, the leading scorer that we all expected he would be. Um, and I know that we still have Hayward. Uh, we still don't have Hayward, but we still have, um, you know, Al Horford in, on offense, who's a, who's an all-star caliber player. Yes, and we still is- have, you know, some of these young guys. And I like the fact that he's really merging into the offense rather than trying to adapt the offense around him. I think that that's really showing, you know, the Brad Stevens' influence as a coach. I think, you know, it's starting to rub off on these guys that, you know, unselfish basketball wins, wins games. And I think it's also more interesting to watch, you know, all these young guys get involved and us pass the ball around more so than the Kyrie show. No, exactly. I was worried about seeing when we made the trade. And it's good. No, I love it. I really, I mean, I think it'll only get better. I think Kyrie will only further ingratiate himself into this offense and he'll be able to take more shots. Once again, I'm glad that we're talking about we, that we want Kyrie to take more shots. I think that that is a very positive thing. But anyway, something you were kind of, kind of talking about there. Before we got the chance to, before I kind of cut you off and want to save it for now, is that something I want to talk about? I really, really want to talk about is that um, Steph Curry Saturday. If you don't know Steph Curry, guard for the Warriors. If you don't know who he is, Steph Curry, former MVP, two-time MVP, current reigning Finals champion, one of the faces of the NBA. Saturday against the Grizzlies, he was mad about some about a no call against the Grizzlies and chucked his mouthpiece at a ref and then he was promptly ejected and then I think it came down yesterday that he is not going to be suspended for any amount of time but he is going to have to pay a $50,000 fine and I really don't think if you just let me talk about this for a second Job I do not I really don't like what the NBA did here I really think that he should have faced a suspension I think that this is a bad look for Steph Curry, who's supposed to be one of the faces of the league. I think that, and I, you know, I hate to come here and say, you know, oh, think of the children, but I think that as a role, I think this is a stupid, stupid, really reprehensible thing for him to do. I don't think you can get, I mean, I know he's not hitting the ref. He's not, you know, he didn't sock the ref, but I think that there's definitely a clear difference between, you know, somebody just yelling at a ref about not getting called and then taking something out of your mouth and throwing it at a guy. We, we can't disagree on this. You can give me your take on this. But I just think that that is such a disrespectful thing for Steph Curry to do. I think it says something about him that he was able to do it so easily. And I just think that the league should want to crack down on this, especially with it coming from one of their star players, a guy who's one of the, if not the face of the league, a guy who's been one of the, probably one of the most famous athletes over the last couple of years. I think that they shouldn't tolerate this from a guy like that. And it just, I, I hate, to see this and after you tell me your opinion just kind of goes to something I've been thinking about the Warriors over the last couple of years but I mean what, what's your opinion on this matter Job? Well I, I think uh, you know you hit the nail on the head in the fact that I think he should have been suspended I think it's a really bad look for the NBA that they didn't suspend him I know that plausible deniability he missed the referee um, so he says oh I wasn't aiming at the referee my mouthpiece goes where I want it to go and his defense uh, that, that was his defense but I, I think it's despicable behavior. I think as a superstar, he should know better. I know that if it wasn't, I think at least, if it wasn't Steph Curry, no, if it wasn't him, I wouldn't no care. Player I really wouldn't care. 
I wouldn't care, but I think the NBA would care, and I think he'd be suspended. No, I disagree. So I feel I think... like maybe the name power is, is really what's driving this. I think they really should have suspended him. And I, I wish it was the opposite, the honestly. I, I wish it was the opposite way. I wish that they would I, suspend him because of his name power, honestly, to set an example, which I really wouldn't mind. I agree. I agree, especially in a league where the stars seem to have so much power over everything from you know the mm-hmm. construction of teams to the way that the game is played to the calls. I mean, Russell, Russell Westbrook can take seven steps without the ball and no one calls it. Um, and you don't see that really emerge if you, call, if, you, if you call the game even. I think the NBA has a little bit of a problem with that, but I want to talk about the Golden State Warriors for a second, if you'll permit me. No, can, uh, I, I, think can I actually get into that first, for, though? Go ahead, go ahead. Because I think that this whole thing, if you're just going to be making my spiel, I think that this whole thing is really, this whole affair, this whole issue, is really kind of emblematic of this fall that the Warriors have gone through. Because when they first came out, and they were first, you know, when they were first, when they won the first title, I don't think anybody really didn't like it. They were this really likable team. They had players that were, they had young, exciting players. They were playing an exciting kind of basketball. They had players that were likable. They had Steph, who seemed like a humble, they had Steph, who seemed like a humble guy, Clay the same way. They had guy, you know, they had a guy like Draymond, who was a second round pick, who really, you know, worked himself into being a really good player. They had Iggy, who's a guy that nobody's ever really had a problem with. They had, you know, they had these guys, and they were relatable. I mean, in a weird way, the part of the appeal of the Warriors was that they're kind of relatable. And, I mean, none of these guys are relatable. They're all more athletic than you or me will ever be, or anybody we know will ever be. But, like, Steph Curry, like, looks like a guy that you've balled with. He looks like a guy. I mean, everybody knows a guy at the YMCA who looks like Steph Curry. Really, so I think that's part of the appeal. Obviously, that guy's probably not six three and as and as athletic as shit. But still, like they were this likable team. You, you know, you want you didn't you didn't hate seeing them succeed. But it seems like in the last you know couple of years they've really. Oh, and then they had Steve Kerr was their coach. I mean, how can you have a problem with him? He's a great player. He's another guy who you don't. Who just does? You know, how can you not like Steve Kerr? And that just seems in the last couple of years they've just gone downhill completely in that regard. And they've just, you know, maybe it has something to do with getting Kevin Durant. I'm sure, but not even that. Outside of that, I didn't really hate the Warriors. I just hated Durant for that. It just seems like they've just became more and more unlikable every year with Draymond flipping out at everybody, with Draymond kicking everybody in the nuts. It just with these guys seemingly developing this huge ego about themselves. It just I don't know if you've seen this, Joe, but it feels like this team has gone from being so likable to just being detestable in like two or three years. I, I agree. I think a lot of that, you hit the nail on the head, it has something to do with um, with the signing of Kevin Durant, I think. They went from being this likable team to the team that all of a sudden they're the New York Yankees of, of, uh, of baseball and they're buying the best talent and everybody wants to be them. And I think that that's, well, I don't even think that's to do. I don't. Th- I don't. I don't attribute it mainly to Kevin Durant, though, because I think it just has more to do with these guys just not being who they, just not being as likable as they used to be. Because I hate Kevin Durant for the Kevin Dur- for what he did. I don't really think it reflects on the Warriors, though. I never really gave the Warriors any crap for signing Kevin Durant. Like, of course, you're gonna. If Kevin Durant says he wants to come to you and you can afford it, I thought it was great bookkeeping by the Warriors that they were able to keep themselves in a position financially where they could afford Durant. But it's just, it's just this stuff. It's Draymond, you know, flipping out about everything. It's Steph Curry now throwing, t- taking. St- taking junk out of his mouth and trying to throw it at a ref. It's all this outside stuff that's making this team seem 
or not Alsasov. It's Steve Kerr even joking about it. Like it doesn't like it's nothing. And it just I don't know. It just all that is what's making this team unlikable. But I mean the Durant stuff is a part of it. But I don't think it really has to do with them having bringing in talent. At least to me. I I, I think you know to an extent it's the it's the actions of of the superstars, and I think most of it actually is that a lot of NBA fans are are seeing the Warriors as kind of this, you know, now they're on top, you know, they were on the rise, yeah. were, you know, everybody's, everybody likes to see the underdog win. And now you've seen the same finals three consecutive seasons and people already have their formulated opinions on LeBron. You know, some people love him, Some people hate him. A lot of people, you know, they love to, they love to rag on LeBron. I think it's a lot of it is now, now they're no longer the underdog. They're no longer, you know, the, that guy from the YMCA, mm-hmm. now they're a juggernaut. And people I just, don't like juggernauts when they're not in their market. I don't know. I, I can't, think the Western I, I think that's Conference has become so much more balanced. Um, the Western Conference, especially this year, with you know the Thunder mm-hmm. look really, really good with Paul George and Carmelo Anthony um, alongside Russell Westbrook. I don't but know. I think that a lot of places, especially on the East Coast, um, we seem to look at you know the Warriors and, and, the, and the Cavs and say, you know, we blame them, especially the Warriors, for all this talent moving to the Western Conference. You see, I don't know, um, though. I don't think it has much to do with that's how good with how good they are. It seems like outside of just them being good for so long, it just seems like the way that they've carried themselves, the way that they've acted, it's just all changed. I don't. I think people would still not like them if they had even just stayed the same, you know, had the same kind of ambiance to them, you know, had this still kind of kept, you know, Steph Curry had just kind of kept being like, you know, this baby face Steph Curry guy, but it feels like just outside of winning, it seems just the who they are, the way that they carry themselves has just changed a lot for the worse in terms of likability. It's like they're just, con- I, I, it's I like they're just kind of embracing being villains so. all of a sudden. I think it, I think that's a good thing for the league, um, actually, because I think that it, it's leading to more competitive teams in the Western Conference, more involved fan bases in the Western Conference especially. Um, and, I, you know, I'm glad to see more competition. I feel like the Western Conference is not the Warriors to lose this year. Um, I mean, granted, we've only played, you know, five games into the season, but some of these West Coast teams really look legitimate, Um, especially, you know, the San Antonio Spurs are always going to be there with Greg Popovich. Um, And you're going to have teams like OKC that are emerging with three legitimate or two legitimate superstars and Carmelo Anthony, who's a sharpshooter and who seems to have really resurged and, you know, refound his love of the game. Now that he's on a winning team, I think the league overall is in a good place. Um, but I'd really like to see these stars lose a little bit of their power, and I'd like to see the, NBA, the you know the league come down hard on these guys. I, I like, for example, the All Star you know the, the realignment of the All Star game. I think that Adam Silver's done great wonders for the NBA in terms of their likability, in terms of their you know their market. I think he's really brought the average fan to enjoy it much more. Um, but we'll, we'll see where it goes because I'd like to see the NBA come down a little bit harder on these stars and set just a little more of an example um, so that we don't have to watch, you know, people like Curry do that and only pay a fine because to these guys, 50 grand, that's nothing. You know, to some people that's a year's salary, but to, to Steph Curry, who's making, I don't even know what he's making, $31 million this year maybe, something like that, that that's nothing. That's a drop in the bucket. You know, that's a parking ticket. And uh, I think he deserves more than that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't think it's bad or good for the league in either way. It's just it's just interesting just how 
how quickly this team has really just evolved from what they were to just being just really, really hateable outside of how good they are. It's the way they carry themselves. But anyway, we have been – it's been time to do your job here on the Stadium Experience with Jake Elms. We've been joined by Job Gudrid of RealSports101.com, as we are every week. Thank you for joining us, Job. Thank you for having me, Jake. I'll see you next week. See you next week, Job. Bye-bye. Anyway, though, as I just said, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. We are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Scum and villainy. This is 90.7 WXIN. Ninety point seven WXIN Stadium Experience. Jake Elmsley. We've been talking. We were just talking with Joe Gugent. We went over a lot of stuff. Patriots, Celtics. We didn't get any Red Sox stuff. But joining me as we did at the top of the show. But joining me now, I have Josh Percy, frequent co-host, friend of the show here. And I was giving my opinions earlier in the show, Josh. I know you weren't listening. You were too busy in your office doing whatever it is you do in there. But I was just talking about my opinions of recent of Sunday's announcement of the Red Sox. Hiring Alex Cora as a manager. Ma- ma- manager. Manager. And I think it's, if you didn't hear the beginning and you want to hear the beginning, don't be afraid to check out the official Stadium Experience SoundCloud. But I was talking at the beginning of the show about how I think it's a good hire. I think he's a guy who could potentially have the ability to communicate with these guys. A guy who knows what it's like to be a player. Knows what's like to be a part of the media. He hasn't been a big league manager yet, but he's been around it. So I can't speak to his ability to make in-game decisions, but I think that he could potentially be a guy who could, put, especially being a Latino who has who can speak Spanish, he's bilingual, a guy who can hopefully communicate with these players in a way that John Farrell wasn't able to. Okay, that's that's okay. I agree with that. Uh, I think it was a good hire. Everything that you're saying, I agree with. Yeah, and obviously, I'm not in a second, I'm not going to say that I know he's going to be a good manager because we don't. But I do say, I think there's some value. I don't know if you subscribe to this, but I think there's a cert, some value in it. And it says something about the perception of this team around the it league. It says something about Red Sox in, like, first-year, like, manager years. Like, I feel like Alex Cora might do pretty good for himself for the first year. He might have a few down years, then he'll have another few good years, and then he get fired. Uh, but no, I'm just saying, I think it says something about what about the view of this team around the league, though, that they were able to hire a guy who I'm not saying is going to be the next great manager, but a guy who was in demand. Yeah, Al- I agree. I think it was good that they were able to get to him before the Nationals did. True. Um, that was a solid hiring. Um, one thing I do want to point out is that I predict. Per- and Astros Dodgers World Series. I had some of the number of games of the previous games. Is that why you came on here? Yes. Is that you like came on here to predict? I predicted you ambushed uh, me. I predicted an Astros in seven over Dodgers. I am all low. right. Dodgers are playing a lot better than I thought they would be. No, no. Um, Round of applause for Josh yes, Percy. Yes. Please. That may be the first prediction to ever yes. come true on this show. Yes. No, um, no, no. You also said Astros in four against the Red Sox. You're on point. Which, yes. You're on point with your Astros predictions. I did not this year. think the Yankees were going to get past Cleveland, but. We didn't the predict outcome, that one, so it's the fine. The outcome of, I, I mean, the game, the number of games played in each series where it was a little off. However, the I think all I, the only thing I had wrong was Yankees over Indians. 
That's the only thing I had wrong. All right, fair I had enough. Indians over Yankees, and then okay. I had I had everything else on. Okay, point. you don't you don't have to brag about the rest yes. of your baseball. Okay, yes. cool. So cool. I do, yes. Cool. Let's focus on Alex Cora. Yes, though. but that's my point is that I'm saying that I thought Alex Cora was going to be hired from the start. I think I didn't want anybody else to be hired because I thought a Ron Guy and mm-hmm. Garden hire would have been a similar situation to the I just, John Farrell. I just situation. didn't want Brad Alsmith. I, I didn't was want fine Brad with anybody Al- else. Alsmith. I thought Alex. The one name that was being thrown around was Alex Cora and Jason. Veritek, and the reason I was more lenient with Alex Cora is because he's been on, he's been a, in a dugout yes. as a coach of some sort, and not behind the scene type guy that Jason Veritek has been. If Veritek is hired, I think Veritek could be the should be the catching coach for the Boston Red Sox or for the um, Yankees. They could really use it. Well, no, because the Red Sox <laughs> um, catchers have uh, been tremendous, and I think that they could use even more help because Veritek not mm-hmm. only was he a solid. Um, defensive catcher. He had a solid arm, which mm-hmm. is a lot of these guys do. And I think they need to be utilized better in throwing out runners. So I think Veritek could help there. He was also a, I wouldn't say a phenomenal hitting catcher, but he was a switch hitter, mm-hmm. which is, I believe, they have a lefty and a righty catcher. I, I, I'm not I sure. Can't Don't quote me on that. Yeah, sure. But I know Blake Swihart can bat both. So if he was to get called up, I think that he could be a great uh, he could be utilized as a catcher's coach, mm-hmm. big time. Where I think that the Red Sox' weakest position is most likely the catcher, unfortunately. Sure. Okay. So I feel and like just just to round it back to Cora, because that's but no, good that's po- where I'm getting to. I said Alex Cora was a former Red Sox, mm-hmm. and I believe that I definitely want somebody um, who understood yes, the market. Market. Hundred um, percent. And I feel like players like him. He never had a what when players become coaches, one of the things I have is that you want to know the his reputation when he was a player, which was one. That was something I want to talk about. Thank you for bringing that up. Cuz when Alex Cora was a player, he was a platoon guy. He was yes. he was like a better Brock Holt type guy, but he did have and even when he was Boston, he did have a very good reputation. Yes. As and a lot of these things are coming out now, which maybe you know we shouldn't trust them too much because they're coming out now. But he's a guy who had a reputation as a very team first guy, which is good. He's a guy who had a reputation even when he was in Boston. Seemingly there were there were articles coming out now that claim that you know like that Cora was the only guy who could you know talk to Manny Ramirez, which you know it didn't really work because nobody was really ever able to get him to listen. But so he was a guy who. But the thing is, if you bring Alex Cora in, he may be able to work with Hanley. He could yes, work. Yes, he's a guy he, who can he, relate to some of these players. Yes, he can. Re- Honestly, you in this day and age, I feel like you want former players now because a lot of these coaches. Yes. Farrell played baseball. But like Fer- old, hey, old yes, timey exactly. Ted Danson baseball. So now yeah. you're getting into this where Alex Cora is playing the type of is playing in a more of a. He played with some of the players that are still playing. Which that is another. That's something I want to bring up that could potentially be an issue. I think I could foresee that it's possible that his. Two However, I don't think any as long as no player well, hang on, hang on, that hang on. played with him. Well, that's the point. I was going to yes. say there could be a little bit of an issue with Dustin Pedroia. He was a guy who played when Cora was here. I, I'm not saying that it will be. Maybe it helps him with Pedroia, but Pedroia yeah, they was. Had, they might. We don't know what type of relationship they had as players. Right. Which seemingly it, it was yeah. good. Well, they were guy. They both played the same position. And when they played, Cora didn't step on his toes to try as like I'm a veteran, I should play. You're no, only a and now that's the point. Year. When they played, I believe it was Pedroia's rookie year, but Cora yes. yielded to Pedroia. He didn't create any issues about Pedroia 
taking his position, but just to say also that. Also, another thing is Cora played second base yes. and shortstop. Bogarts has been struggling, yes. and he could be potential. He'll be able to. He's been struggling fielding wise, which is something Cora was very good at. Yes, he was and that a was another great defensive player, and he could definitely help Bogarts better his defensive ability. And that was another. Also, if the Red Sox have to get another second baseman, which Pedroia is going to be out to at least which I want to talk July, about in a second. Hang on. If they get somebody or they try to bring somebody up from the minors, Cora is the type of guy that could help coach yes. that guy while Pedroia is sidelined. Yes, and that was another point. Is that because of Xander Bogart's point? Something else I really made a point of emphasis in the first segment of the show was the fact that. He can speak Spanish. Yes. Xander Bogers does not speak great English. He's gotten better, but he speak great English. So you had, you know, a struggling player with a lot of talent who your manager just, not even that he couldn't relate to him, he just couldn't talk to him without a translator. So I think the ability of that of Cora to sit down, I don't think that's something we should underestimate, that Cora could actually sit down and talk to Xander Bogarts. He can talk to Devers, who also cannot speak very good English. He can communicate with these guys from a culture. No, I agree, and I feel like there's a lot of Hispanic players that are playing for the Red Sox right yes, now. Yes, and that can help them and in free agency. Yes. He could be a guy who can call just some of these Edwin, free agents. And he'll be like, hey, like, you know, hey, hola. Hola. Me amo Cora. Come harblar with the Red Sox. Muy bien. I take Spanish too. I can coach the Red Sox. But I would also need a translator because it's very English Spanish. But yeah, he's a guy who could. I do think it's valuable. He's a guy who can communicate with him. I think he has a very good value at the Red Sox and not so much with the Nationals. Sure. Yeah, I think so. That's a good point too. No, you're right. And he'll be able to communicate with some of the young potential stars of this team who haven't been able to play lately. And it also I think that the Alex Cora is the same thing I said about Jason Veritek, why I wouldn't mind him being the coach, but he knows him he knows the market. He knows that the market. That was big. I wanted somebody who had played here, which is why I was like David Ortiz could potentially coach this, but then I thought he played for the team too recently. Yeah. Also Now I mind you if there's anybody who could come in and he would command yes. respect to the entire team, David Ortiz I'd be okay with for yes, the re- the di- recentness yes. wouldn't bug me because they all now if there was like Brock Holt and coming in then I'd be like okay yeah like that's that's similar like if like David if Ortiz Ramirez, walked in he'd if, command uh, the room if Manny Ramirez that they hired Manny as a coach I don't think it would end well no, you know what I mean but you know, we discussed or- this like we said if we needed two like if you needed a player that could relate to the team you know Ortiz and Manny would come t- into perspective and we'd obviously choose Ortiz because he was a naturally he's a natural born leader yeah and they love and they love him they spent yes. all year talking about how much they missed him so yes. that would be it but still anyway i think the Alex Cora signing was good mm-hmm. i think it shows good things for the future um, I think he could be a very long-term coach here. Potentially, uh, yeah. He could be sure. a ter- he could be the next Terry Francona. Um, I mean, I don't want to start. No, 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 not like World Series. No, wise, I want I want to see it. I'm not willing to say. I just I think it's a good hire. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's going to be because there are going to be problems. He's going to make some bonehead, stupid decisions. Yeah, well, to honestly, he will. This is where the Red Sox need to go and get a good pitching coach. Sure, because yeah. that's probably Alex Cora's weakest. You know. Uh, mindset. Sure. Because if you think about it, he was a utility. But then guy. again, having well, a no, then again having a pitcher coach yeah. as John Farrell did not help the pitching either. Yes. So, however, my thought is Alex Cora was a bench guy, mm-hmm. so he would come off off the bench as a pinch hitter. So he knows those type of situations better true, than John Farrell true, did. He true. also knows like, oh hey, there's a good matchup coming up for one of our bench guys. He doesn't just throw somebody in there. For I mean, I would hope day. that John Farrell also understood that being around baseball his whole life. But sure. Yeah, how well, yeah, well, clearly he didn't. Sure, and also, I'm not really worried about the 
in-game stuff, honestly, because the team we has proved... We haven't seen much. It can't get much worse Exactly, and I'm more... What I'm style. worried about with this team is I want somebody who can come in. The problem with this team this year was the locker room. Yeah. The, there was... Well, in the clubhouse. There, was, there were issues now it's, uh, in like, the clubhouse, and hopefully Alex Cora is a type of guy who could help them resolve this. I mean, if you think about... I mean, you hope. But Alex Cora not being an older, you know, player. Exactly. He, I mean, he's been on. He's probably been coaching for what three or four years now. Yeah. On like the bench and like. Yeah. Behind he coached the scene. Puerto Rico, yeah, that which type of thing. I don't really count too much for much. However, but still. I mean, a lot of these players not might not respect him as much because he hasn't accomplished as much. Now he I will might say be a rookie. Co- he's a legit rookie coach. Yeah. Now People a point might not to him respect though. Him. A point for Alex Cora is that he's always been around winning teams is a un- underrated thing, but he's. Always been around winning teams his entire. You can't say his reputation. I feel like if he walks in there and he gets the respect of the locker room, the Red Sox are going to be in for a very good few seasons with him I as agree. a manager. If he cannot gain David Price, Chris Sale, Kim K- Craig Kimbrell, uh, Hanley Ramirez, uh, I feel like the younger players will. I don't see a problem. A lot of them are understated guys. I don't see them having a problem. No, but right, no, Pedroia, but Pedro- Pedro- No, Pedroia won't give a problem. Um, eh, well, eh. He did say, I'm the leader of this team. Yeah, yeah. We'll However, see. if like Chris Sale, David Price, Craig Kimbrell, the leaders of your pitching staff, mm-hmm. Hanley, who's supposed to be a leader in your... Um, I mean, he was your DA, he was your cleanup guy. So that's normally your power, yeah. your your guy that you go to. Yeah, no, this could so, go one or two ways. So that's what I'm saying is like if these guys, the outspoken guys, don't fall in line and trust Alex Cora, you could have a mutiny in your hand. I don't feel that much because they're going to like him more than John Farrell. Well, clearly, just by nature change. of it being John. So like, but I, I'm not saying this season. No, but I'm you're saying right. like if after this season, if he does, you know, if, if he can't, if he can't maintain control which mm-hmm. can be said about every yep. coach but as him as a rookie if yep. he can't maintain control all year have some problems then he's gonna have problems because you don't see managers like john farrell or terry francona bruce uh bochi you don't see those type of guys losing control nah, john farrell lost control pretty no, bad this i year. didn't mention him oh i thought you did so that's you did why say john i'm saying no i said terry francona i said jo- joe madden oh and i said um, Bruce Bochy. Um, I mean, heck, even Dusty Baker didn't lose control of his team because you know, or Dave Roberts. He was a rookie. It's too. just a DC. You know it's I just mean? a DC team. But it's like DC teams just yes. can't win. So those type of guys don't lose control of their locker room, and that's why they continue. Even if they don't have a World Series season, they continue to coach because they still yep. maintain mm-hmm. the respect of their players, which is something that the Red Sox coaching staff has Needs. never been able to keep. They need they need that this year. Yes, they need that. That's the number one it. thing. They need leadership in this team, and hopefully Cora will be able to bring them that. And I'm so. opt- I'm optimistic. Now, one more thing I want to get to something I have not found a way to slivel in. Today it came out that Dustin Pedroia today underwent successful knee surgery. He was in New York. It was like the hospital had some weird name, but I can't remember it. But it was in New York. It was successful. He sur- got the, he got this huge knee surgery that he probably should have gotten last year. Sure, he got but microscopic last year. Yeah, and clearly it didn't help. Yeah. Me. So anyway, so it was an it was an issue to resolve to hopefully resolve well not resolve but at least prolong the chronic knee problem that he faced all year where he was just managing pain for most of the year and the reports out are that he's going to be sidelined seven months until May which to this I say good I'm glad he did this I there are a few reasons I'm for a I'm just glad he's we getting have him signed really for long five term, years five so, years for 15 million dollars so he needs to get healthy exactly and if I'm we gla- lose him for a year honestly his bat his his batting average and getting on base might decrease the yes. Red Sox 
hitting ability, but he never hit for power. So no, but runs, he was still able so to hit two ninety three. RBIs aren't gonna go down. How? <laughs> but the batting average and the on base percentage mm-hmm. will go down. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, anyway. Before we get into up. just the nitty gritty of it, but point is just good. He's because you can't you can't trade him at this point. He has no he has no trade value. No. Zero zero. Nobody's taking that contract. But good. He's gonna get it fixed. I don't care if he misses a month of the season. That really doesn't matter to me. I think and, he honestly and honestly, hang on though. And in a weird way, I think it's good for Pedroia. I think it's good for the team if he can kind of take a little break from being part of the Red Sox. Personally, I think that the relationship got really weird this year. He was having a lot of weird problems. Personally, uh, he's going to be sidelined from baseball activity for seven months. Yeah. Uh, personally, I'd keep him out all year. I mean, I wouldn't do it. If he can come Unless back, he can come back. Unless you absolutely need. No, he's not supposed to have baseball activity until like. You know, April. Yeah. And that means he's going to, I mean, he's going to have, that's just starting to get, you know, back in the field. It's going to take him at least all of April and maybe even all of May to get back to his ability to play. Yeah. And then he's going to have to play in the minor. I want him to play in the minors for at least a month. So that's June. We'll see. We'll see. I don't want to, I don't want to start uh, well, projecting. No, I wouldn't keep him out all year. No. I'd keep him out until after the All-Star break. I, maybe, depending on how it heals. But still, he was able to hit 293 well, see, with his no, knee this killing. This is my thing. I go, I think he needs the time away. With his knee ki- Sure. If you think it needs a little more time, I yeah, wouldn't rush that's him fine. back. Yeah. That's no, that's cool. Thing. If you think so, that's cool. I don't I don't disagree with that. I think that having a break will benefit him health-wise, and I think more importantly, it'll benefit him mental-wise. He can yes. just remove himself from the team. The entire the team was kind of a mess this year. I just think giving him that chance to get away is good. Now, rapid fire. We only have a couple minutes here. I think now, do you think to me, I think this kind of prioritizes re-signing Eduardo Nunez. I, yes. wa- I wonder about their capability to do that. But if they can't, then you might kind of be looking at, you know. Uh, personally, Brock I might Holt go after a Lin. trade potentially of okay. Neil Walker. I mm-hmm. think he's playing for the Mets right now or the Pirates. I think he might still be at the some Pirates. crap team. He's playing. I think he's playing on some like cheap deal or something like that. He might even be a free agent. But Neil Neil Walker is the type of guy who can play second, short, and third. Um, he can play the outfield. Um, I don't know what team he's signed to right now. Um, he might be a free agent, but that's mm-hmm. the type of guy I would go after. I mean, also I no, Nunez is too high of a commodity yeah. right now, okay. and I don't think that they can afford him. Okay, unless unless Nunez is willing to take a pay cut, which I for, can't imagine a guy no. who's made the amount of money he's made will and, be. I mean, his knee injury potentially might. You that's know, fair. Red Sox might be willing to offer him a little bit more than some teams, but uh, yes. I would prioritize a middle end for your player, yes. And now, I mean, it also depends on the timeline because if it's like yes. you're saying and you think it'll be out till June, then that probably prioritizes more. If it's only out till May, like a lot of the reports are saying, then I say, you know, just pull up Zhu Wei Lin or somebody. Personally, just, I would hold them out to the All-Star break. You make know, sure he's 150 Right, well, depending on, you know, dep- yeah, if that's what they think too, then yeah, you make a move. If it's only a month, then I don't think you waste an asset to make that move. But, I mean, anyway, I mean. I'm sure you can sign somebody. Yeah, you can sign somebody some too. You can. Contract. You have guys in the system. Like, yeah. if it's a month, you can you can fake it like they were doing at third. Yeah, freaking Marrero play second they base. They faked it for the whole year until Devers came Yeah, exactly, August, exactly. Which they can do again. Exactly, which that's not going to kill me. Anyway, though, thank you for coming on, Josh. You have been listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN and... It's that special time of week when I bid you all adieu. We've been talking about a lot of stuff today. We will be back next week, Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m., right here on 90.7 WXN. Thank you to Joe for calling in every week. Thank you to Josh for joining me on the last segment there. He is already out of the building. Anyway, though, you have been listening to the Stadium Experience 
with Jake Helmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And we will be back next week and have a lovely rest of your week.